you would, uh, go ahead and turn, <clears throat> turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 18 is where we'll be mostly studying today. The master's mission from the cradle to the cross, to the crown, to the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was and is on the greatest rescue mission the world has or will ever know. In the cradle, we see Jesus, or we call it the manger, by the way, this time of year. It's, you know, that's a more in vogue term. In, in, in the manger, Jesus came behind enemy lines to save those he would rescue. In the cross, Jesus was using a counterintuitive battle tactic for victory. By dying, he would win and give life to those he was dying for. The crown is what awaited Jesus after his triumphant resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. He is now there seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, ruling and reigning. Then there is the coming of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit in power to indwell permanently those who trust in Christ Jesus. And this is where you and I become a part of the master's mission. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. That is, we who receive the Holy Spirit would receive a power from the Holy Spirit to share the gospel to the ends of the earth, to share the message of Christ Jesus, to apply what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection. This is Jesus' one only and final plan for the master's mission, for the salvation of all those he came to redeem. He will accomplish it through us, through the church, through his body, through his bride. We are the ones who are to carry out this mission, our master's mission. And we see that most succinctly in Matthew 28. This is known as the, the Great Commission. And by the way, it's not only the Great Commission because it's neat, it's the Great Commission because it is so weighty, it is so important. This is Jesus saying this just before he ascends back up into heaven and says, await the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be gone for, for a while. It's been about 2,000 years now. But, but here's what I want you guys to be about while I'm gone. This is what he says, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If that's the first time you've heard of the Great Commission or heard the words of the Great Commission, you are living in a cave. We all know the Great Commission. We all know that Jesus gave this command. We all know that this is what we are supposed to be about. But what I want to ask you today is if this is the Master's mission, if this is the Great Commission, then why are so few of us actively engaged in fulfilling it? 
Why do we give so little of our time, of our energy, of our affections to fulfilling the master's mission? The thing Jesus told us to be about in our time on this earth. Now, I've spent a great deal of time thinking about this question because I want it to change in my life and I want it to change in your life. I want us to be about what Jesus wants us to be about. And so I gave a lot of thought about this and I I studied my Bible trying to figure out answers and I talked with other people saying, why don't we do this? Why, Why aren't we all about this great commission? And so I'll tell you what, what I've come up with. Now, there are, by the way, secondary reasons we don't share the gospel and secondary reasons we don't uh, build up other Christians. Uh, I think of fear, you know, we're, we're, we're nervous, we're afraid, you know, uh, we, we might feel like we don't have enough training. But let me tell you, those uh, are fruit problems of a greater root issue in our lives. Yeah, yeah we're afraid, but we would get over that fear if we really cared about obeying the Great Commission. And, and we might feel we don't have enough training to share the gospel or, or whatever, but if we really cared to obey, we would get that training. We would find a way. There's a lot of things that I was not born knowing how to do, yet I set my mind to it. I set my energies to it in order to do it because I, I wanted to. It was important to me, so I did it. So here's what I've come up with for why I believe at, at root Uh, we don't obey the Great Commission as Christians. First, we don't think it's necessary to obey. We might think in general terms, it's not necessary for me to obey anything Jesus says, or we might just think in terms of, well, it's not necessary for me to obey the Great Commission. And and, and you say, what are you talking about? Well, Christianity, unlike any other religion, is not a merit-based religion. You cannot earn your salvation. No amount of good works will will make you right with God or, or earn his love or anything like that. And so we say, okay, I'm saved by grace through faith, not by works. Therefore, since I'm saved, it doesn't really matter if I obey Jesus. You say, that's crazy. It's, it's Romans 6. I mean, <laughs> these questions were asked. And I think we all show by our lives, by our actions, that we think, well, maybe that is true. Maybe it doesn't matter if I obey. Because we often do what we want to do. Another thing we might do, another kind of way we do this in thinking it's not necessary to obey the Great Commission, is we might think, well, I've stopped doing all the things that Jesus has told me not to do. I am obeying those commands. Therefore, it's not that big of a deal if I don't do what he has commanded me to do. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not stealing, I'm not getting drunk, I'm not committing adultery, I'm not doing these things that, that I used to do. And, and so I've, I've cleaned up so much that I, I get a pass on obeying Jesus on the Great Commission. And I, I think many people feel that way. It's, it's again, Uh, I don't know that anyone would actually voice it, say those words, but it is implied, it is implicit through our actions. Okay, that's the first one. We don't think it's necessary to obey. Secondly, uh, you see up there on the screen, we don't trust Jesus' authority. What I mean is we say, okay, 
I know that Jesus is in authority. I know the command Jesus has given to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, to teach them to obey all I have commanded. I, I know those things, but I'm a little suspicious of Jesus. What if Jesus doesn't actually have my best interests in mind? What if Jesus is commanding me to do something that will rob from me, that will steal joy from my life, that will make it to where I can never have that satisfaction I so desire? I mean, it, it takes a lot to, 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 get, to, to walk away from your own plans, passions, and desires and to say, I'm going to set my life to Jesus' plans, passions, and desires. That's what I'm going to pursue. And so we don't trust Jesus, that his authority is good and that it's for our good. And so we don't obey him. These are what I think are the two root reasons. We don't think it's that big of a deal if we don't obey. And we're a little suspicious of Jesus that he doesn't quite have our interests in mind. And both of those are really issues of authority. Is Jesus really in charge of my life? And is Jesus in charge of my life for my good? And so we, we, we look at these things and we, we think about why we don't do it. And it's interesting that Jesus begins the Great Commission with a statement of authority, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's almost like he knew what we would struggle with. And so that's what we're going to dive in today. Those words of Jesus, the, the master's authority. But before we do that, before we dive in any deeper, let's ask the Lord to help us. Father God, I ask that you would teach us today, teach me today. Break down any of our remaining rebellion. Break down our, our, our selfishness. And it's so interesting that we selfishly don't obey you when, as we'll learn in just a moment, it would actually be best for us to obey you. God, Satan tells us that, it, that we don't have to obey you. Our flesh tells us that we can make ourselves happy. And so, God, if Satan and our flesh are right, teach us that today and help us to follow Satan and our flesh wholeheartedly. But God, if Jesus is the true authority and if he is a good authority, then teach us to follow him. God, I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our struggle is that of authority and Jesus begins by addressing authority in the Great Commission. And so the first thing we see is this. Jesus, oh, Jesus' authority is supreme. Jesus' authority is supreme. It is ultimate. It is comprehensive. It is all-inclusive. And we see this in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, Jesus is saying every bit of, 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 of the, the cosmos of creation is under my authority. That's what it is to say heaven and earth. He's not talking about the birds. He's talking about the spiritual world, that type of heaven. 
I am in charge of all of those. And, and by the way, authority in this context is mainly talking about the right to command. Right? I mean, because my, my daughter, uh, one of them can, can give me a command. Daddy, give me that cupcake. And she can tell me that, but it doesn't mean she has the right to tell me that. And in fact, me being an authority over her, I have the right to say, no, that won't be best for you to have that cupcake right now. But Jesus right here in, in Matthew 28, 18 is saying, I have the right to command. I have the right to demand obedience to my commands. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now, it's interesting in Jesus' life, uh, his earthly ministry, as we see in the gospels, one of the main things he did that he clearly set himself to was showing that he had all authority in heaven and on earth. That was one of the things he wanted to demonstrate to us. And so uh, I just wanna kind of show you a list of things that just in my thoughts, Jesus claims and demonstrates his authority over. Jesus has authority over nature. Just think about his miracles. He, he turned the water into wine. He, he calmed the wind and waves. He walked on water. That's, that's, I guess, controlling nature too. The bread and the fish multiplied to feed the hungry crowds. He curses a fig tree and it withers. Jesus has complete authority over nature. Jesus also had authority over disease and disability. Again, think about it. He, he, he uh, cooled the fever. He, he makes the lame to walk and the blind to see, the crooked to stand up straight. He cleanses the leper. I mean, th this isn't Jesus puts himself to this for years and years and finds a cure. He, he touches them or, or just says, stand up, and they do. Jesus is in authority over disease and disability. In addition... Jesus is an authority over religion. It's, it's almost, I smile uh, reading through the gospel sometimes because Jesus was just so belligerently in the face of the Pharisees, of this, this false religion they had created around uh, God's true Jewish religion. They, they added all these man-made laws. They added a self-righteous principle when it was to be a, a, a principle of grace and so Jesus sits in the synagogue teaching, and what did the people say? Who is this that teaches with such authority? He doesn't teach like our scribes. He talks as one who has authority. And Jesus was famous for saying things like, you have heard that it was said, right? And then fill in the way the scribes would describe the law. And he'd say this, but I say this. You've heard that it was said, but I say this about your religious beliefs. In addition, when Jesus uh, would break their, some of their man-made traditions, such as the Sabbath, what did he say? The son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. You're not gonna put your man-made rules on me. Like I, I am in authority over this religion and I'm not going to, to bend or capitulate to your version of it. Jesus is in authority over religion and he showed it over and over again. Uh, next, Jesus is in authority over government, over government. It's so interesting. Uh, in the Gospel of John, after Jesus was arrested, Pilate, a, uh, a Roman official, <clears throat> is kind of giving Jesus a hard time. But listen to how Jesus responds to him. 
is uh, John 19, 10, 11. It's on the screen there. So Pilate said to him, to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. (laughs) Jesus' point is clear. You have a lot of human authority, Pilate, you do. But guess what? I and my father, the, the heavenly powers, we are the ones who have given you that authority and we can take it away just as easily. It's almost like uh, what he said to Judas, like what you're gonna do, do quickly, like keep, keep going, but you're not the one in charge here, Pilate. I, I am in charge even of you, your authority. I am over it. We see next Jesus was in charge uh, and authority over the spirit world. Angels, demons, and even Satan himself, Jesus is in authority over. Again, we, I don't want to go through all of this, but we see uh, Peter in Acts 12, 11 says that Jesus sent an angel to free him from the prison. As far as uh, demons, I mean, over and over and over again, Jesus commands the unclean spirits to come out, and they do, begging for mercy. In fact, at one point, the the demon's name is Legion. You know what that means? That's an army. That means there's a whole army of demons in this this man. And Jesus says, get out. That's the one that goes to the pigs and they run off the mountain and it doesn't go well for them. But even Satan, even Satan, who seems to have so much power, so much sway, Jesus says, I came to bind the strong man of this house. Matthew 12, 29, that's what he says. I came to bind Satan. And that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus is allowing Satan to have his limited authority for this time, but Jesus is in authority over him. And while Satan, his demons, and many people do not recognize Jesus' authority, there will come a day when, when they will bow their knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And sadly for them who rebelled, it will be just before the lake of fire. Next, we see kind of along those lines, uh, Jesus has authority over judgment. Oops, I can go back. Jesus has a, a authority over judgment. Uh, Jesus told us many times, what? I can forgive sin. You remember that? The Pharisees are so mad. Who is this that says he can forgive sins? And Jesus says, well, which is it easier to say, rise up and walk or that your sins are forgiven? Rise up and walk so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. <laughs> and the dude gets up and walks. What does that mean? Well, Jesus had the, the, the power of judgment. He had the authority to forgive sin. But Jesus also had the power to condemn the unrepentant, those who do not trust in him. That right is given to Jesus alone. He has the right of judgment But finally, I want us to to think about the fact that Jesus has authority over death and life. Jesus has authority over death and life. That's what I was looking for, I think. Yep. Before I even read these verses, you think about other people. On three separate occasions, Jesus tells people to get up after they've been dead, and they do. You have... Um, the widow's son, you have a Roman official's daughter, and of course you have Lazarus. Jesus says, come forth, 
You've been in the grave for four days, but come out of there and Lazarus comes. Jesus has authority over death and life. But the most supreme example of Jesus' authority over death and life is that of his own life. John 10, 17, 18, that's up on the screen. It says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And so Jesus is saying what here? Okay, the Roman officials believe that, that they're the ones who, are, who are, are, are crucifying me. The Jews believe that they're the ones who instigated this whole thing. Satan believes that he is the mastermind of this plot to kill Jesus. But Jesus is saying, I've got authority over this. <laughs> no one else does. I lay down my own life. Thank you. And look at, look at what, Jesus, or what happens in uh, John 19.30. I think this is why John is so careful how he words this. This is Jesus hanging on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Hmm. It doesn't say, and he died. It says he gave up his spirit. That is Jesus, the one in authority over death and over life says, I will die now and gave up his spirit. That's the type of authority Jesus had. Now, you may say at this point, that's not that impressive, uh, you know, that he can choose the moment he will die. You know, I mean, I can't do that, but that's, that's not all that impressive. I'd say, well, what's really impressive is not only that he could choose when to lay down his life, but he could choose to pick it back up again. Jesus could resurrect himself from the dead. And that's exactly what he said there. Uh, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And of course he did that on the third day. Jesus rose from the grave. He had authority over death and over life. And by the way, Jesus resurrects himself, but he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in him will be raised on the last day. That's what he told at the, the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, we, we've just seen that Jesus has, has supreme authority, comprehensive. There's, there's nothing outside of the bounds of his authority. And yet we still would maybe ask this question, but what about Christians? <laughs> Do we have to obey his authority? I mean, this, this is part of why we don't obey the Great Commission because we don't think it's that important to obey Jesus. We say, I'm saved by grace through faith, therefore it doesn't matter if I walk in obedience. And we say, well, I've cleaned up my life so much, I've stopped doing all these things, so it doesn't really matter if I start doing what Jesus has told me. Does it matter if a Christian obeys Jesus? What I wanna say is this, Christians are the ones who should be most devoted to pursuing full obedience to Jesus. Without question, Christians should be the ones most devoted to, to obeying the commands of Jesus, not only the, the put-offs, but also the put-ons. Stop doing this and start doing that. We should be the ones most devoted to that because we are the ones who say that we recognize God's infinite holiness and our dirtiness, our sinfulness, we are the ones who say that we have turned from our sin and to Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. 
Lord isn't just a title, uh, you know, like Jesus' last name. It, it is a title for a master. He's the one who gives commands. We are the ones who say that Jesus is the head of the church and we are the body. I, I don't know about you, but like the head of a household tells the others what to do. They lead it. The head of a corporation is the boss. In fact, a, a physical body, my head is the one that's telling my arms to move right now. I, I, I send signals and they obey. The head tells the body what to do. And we are the ones who claim to be that. There are many who do not acknowledge or, and do not obey the commands of Jesus but they, they're, they're rebels, like sinners are going to sin, right? Like that's, that's how it goes. But we're the ones who say that we have been regenerated, that we have a new heart, new mind, that we love God. Listen to what Jesus says, how he, how he deals with this issue. He says in, in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you have an actual love for Jesus, it will be your heart's desire to obey Jesus. And, and if you don't desire to obey his commands, then that shows it reveals a lack of love for Jesus, the one we claim to love with all our heart and mind and strength, right? That's the greatest command, love the Lord your God. Luke ten forty six, Jesus says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? You know what's interesting about that? He doesn't say, you, you do the things I tell you not to do. He says, you don't do what I tell you. Why would you call me Lord? Why, why do you call me master, boss, king? Why do you call me those things and don't do what I tell you? And then we have these chilling words, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then skipping to verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, we, we, we've got to have this clear. I, I don't want anyone mishearing me. We do not earn our salvation, <laughs> not in the slightest. If we feel our good deeds are earning our, our salvation, it's actually working against us because that's not faith. That's not grace. That's not trusting in Jesus. The only thing that can save us is Christ Jesus, his finished work on the cross for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, his offer of salvation, trusting in him. That is all that can save us. But I want to say this very clearly. While you don't obey for salvation, Obedience is the necessary fruit of salvation. The one who has truly trusted in Christ Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, will seek to obey him. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? This is the reality. Jesus' authority is supreme, not just over all creation, but it is peculiar towards his people because we are the ones who say he's our master. We claim he's our head. We say he's our Lord. So yes, we should obey the great commission. You could say it is necessary that we obey the great commission. Why? Because Jesus, our King has commanded it. It is the master's mission, which he has set us on. Now, 
at this point, I, I need to shift gears a little bit. I, I, I needed to set that foundation of Jesus' authority. But some of you might be saying right now, fine, I'll do it. I don't want to show that I'm not a Christian. So I'll, I'll start doing this Great Commission stuff. Well, you know, how many hours do I got to put in to like show that I truly love Jesus and truly want to obey his commands? Like, if, if that's you, if that's your thinking, then this next point is for you. Because what that type of thinking is showing is that you don't really trust Jesus' authority. It shows that you don't trust that what he commands is actually an act of compassion toward you. It shows that you don't believe that, that setting aside your own wants, desires, and passions, uh, that that will be good for you to take up Jesus' wants, desires, and passions. But what I want to show you next is Jesus' authority is trustworthy. Jesus' authority is trustworthy. It is one thing to have the right to command and to demand obedience, but it is another thing to be trustworthy, to, to, to have a, the sort of character that makes people want to follow your lead, that makes them want to obey you. And that's exactly what we have with Jesus. Now, I want to be fair here because it's not surprising that we are suspicious of Jesus' leadership. No, to me, it's not surprising at all. It's not, not surprising in my own heart that I, I have trouble trusting Jesus. It's not surprising to me that you probably have trouble trusting Jesus. And the reason for that is, is we've all experienced bad authority, whether it be government officials, a boss, parents, maybe a coach, or even a pastor. We have all seen people wield their authority badly. We've all seen them use it for their own selfish gain rather than for the good of their people. We've all seen that. We've all experienced that. And so it is natural. It's normal for us to be suspicious of Jesus' authority. But what I want to tell you today is that Jesus is not like the authority that we have experienced in the past. And by the way, I know that if I had supreme authority like Jesus, I wouldn't carry it well. Right? Like, and so I'm even suspicious there. I'm like, if I had control over all heaven and all earth, I'd probably use it for my own selfish good. And so how can I trust Jesus? But Jesus is utterly different. He's holy. He is entirely trustworthy to hold this authority. And that should make us desire to obey him. I want to show you just sort of contextually, because again, Jesus is the one who says this. Uh, you see there, by the way, he's reminding them, it's, it's me, guys. It's me that has the authority. All, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not just any old corruptible human. It's me, guys, that has this authority. And, and again, Jesus is, is saying these things in a context not much different than our own because the, the Israelites in those days, they experienced bad human authority just like us. We see Matthew 23, verse 4, or sorry, uh, Matthew 20, 25. Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, when they get power, they, they use it for their own good. They, they taunt, they, they uh, extort, they... They do all these things by using and abusing the people under them instead of leading them. He said, that's what Jesus says. This is what the rulers of the Gentiles do. Israel, by the way, was under the rulership of Rome. And so that means they had Roman officials that were over them. 
But this was also true of, of Israel's religious leaders as well. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 4 of the religious leaders, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They just throw these self-righteous, often man-made tradition, heavy burdens on the people and do nothing to help them carry them. That's what the religious leaders were doing. Why? Because it made them look good. It made them look honorable and righteous. And that's how they used their authority. So both their government and their religious authority was using it badly. But listen to things Jesus said about his own authority. Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. 29, it's actually through 30. Come to me, all who labor, and are he- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, that, that's entirely different than the way the, the, the rulers of the Gentiles did things. They lorded it over people. And that's entirely different than the way the religious authorities did. They, they gave these, these condemning traditions and laws to obey, yet gave no help. And Jesus says, no, take my yoke upon you. That this is the idea of a, an oxen yoke, that you have these two uh, you know, um, holes for the heads and then the bar going across. And Jesus is like, we've got a heavy load to pull, but I'm going to be pushing with you. Like, I, I realize my commands are difficult, but, but I'm gentle and lowly of heart. I'm not going to just drag you. I, we're we're going to go at the pace we need to go, and, and I'll carry you. I'll help you through these commands. And don't worry, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'll see. That's the type of leader Jesus is, the type of authority he is. And look at what he says about obeying his commands. Life-changing verse for me right here. Absolutely flipped my world upside down when I saw uh, these verses. John 15, 10, and 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So in the context of obedience, in the context of authority, in the context of command and demand of obedience, Jesus says, look, I'm telling you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. You're chasing joy in all these other things. You're chasing joy in all these these worldly possessions and pleasures and comfort and ease. You're chasing joy in those, but they are gonna fail you. They will leave you empty. But you know what? I want to put my joy in you so that your joy is full. So you will actually be satisfied. Remember Jesus is the, the, the living water you drink of me and you'll never need to drink again. He is satisfying. That's the whole idea. But it is in the context of obeying his commands. We can't separate those two things. We can't take the joy of Jesus, but say, but I'm not going to obey your commands though. I want you to fill me with your joy and make my joy full, but I'm not going to do what you tell me. That is not the way it works. Jesus is supreme authority. Therefore, he must demand obedience. But Jesus is trustworthy authority. Therefore, obeying him is actually good for you. 
I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a sin that you love, a pleasure you find so much delight in, it is empty. You're fooling yourself if you think it's going to satisfy you. But to lay down that sin, obeying Jesus' commands, that is where joy is found. And we might say, but I don't want to go down the road of, of sharing the gospel, opening my mouth to my coworkers, my neighbors, my family, my friends. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to maybe even, you know, move away and become a missionary. Like that, that doesn't sound good to me. But we got to know who our master is. He's not telling us to do something that will rob us of joy. I, I think it's awesome I was talking about this with uh, Jonathan Diltz last night. What is the worst thing that can happen to you? The, the, the worst case scenario, if you open your mouth and share the gospel, what's the worst case scenario? You get persecuted, right? <laughs> you, you maybe lose a friend or, uh, you know, get, get made fun of at school, or maybe you don't get the promotion at work. Or maybe you don't get invited back to the, uh, the play date with the other moms. You feel dumb you, you feel like a, a, a weirdo what, whatever you want to say that's 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 the worst case scenario but you know what the result of that is this is this is amazing jesus matthew 5 verses uh, 11 and 12 jesus says blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven what Jesus is saying is worst case scenario by how this person responds and how it affects your life, you can rejoice. Because worst case scenario, there is a great reward awaiting you in heaven and you can rejoice right now knowing that. That you are storing up treasures that will not uh, fade, that thieves won't break in and steal. You can rejoice. By the way, the very next thing Jesus says is you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I mean, this is in the context of sharing the gospel, of spreading the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. That is the worst case scenario following Jesus' orders, is that you'll be blessed. But we often believe Jesus is trying to rob us. And I just want to tell you we're wrong. I'm wrong when I believe that following my own fleshly desires instead of following Jesus will lead to my ultimate happiness. I'm wrong. It's a lie from Satan. It's a lie from uh, my flesh. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, John 10, 10. This is what Jesus is about, and this is the glory of God. This is the glory of God, that he would come down this is what Christmas is about. We've already been talking about it today. He would come down to take on a humble, a humble human estate, frail and fragile, just like us. Jesus takes on human flesh to be with us, but also to identify himself with us. That was Pascal's message. Jesus identifies himself with us. This is crazy. The God high and lifted up. Then instead of becoming a leader in order that people might serve him, he says, I came to not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. When you think about leadership, what king has his people rebel against him and says, you know what? I'm going to die so that they can uh, be set free. 
What, what, what judge, right, authority, what judge sees and knows all the sins a person has ever committed and says, you know what, instead of condemning them, instead of rightly pouring out my judgment, my wrath on them, I'm actually going to bear their judgment for sin. I'm going to bear the condemnation on myself. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. This is what Jesus did. I think about like uh, the prodigal son. You remember how the older brother uh, is, is so like annoyed with his younger brother because part of his inheritance is going to get taken away. So the prodigal son, he's gone away. He's squandered his inheritance. And the older brother's so annoyed at, at the father because he's invited the son right back in. What does that mean? It means he's got to let the, the, the brother come back into the inheritance. And so part of his inheritance is gone. What does Jesus do? The one whom we have sinned against, the life that we have squandered, that he had given to us, what does he do? He is the older brother that pursues us and then says, hey, you're going to be a co-heir with me for eternity. This is the type of leader Jesus is. He is not out to hurt you. He is not out to rob you. And if that is true, then we should respond with obedience and eagerness. None of this, fine, Jesus, I'll obey you. Fine, I'll stop doing this thing that I know is sin. Ugh. Jesus is looking for your joy. It's Satan, right, that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Not Jesus. He's trying to give you abundant life. And, and we shouldn't be like, uh, I guess I'll give up my time and energy and my, my wants and desires so that I can share the gospel and disciple people. You know, uh, it's not going to be good for me, but I, I have to obey. No. These are my, my commands. If you obey my commands, you'll abide in my love. I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Friends, I just want to give you two tips for this idea of obeying the master's mission. Obeying him with, with not doing the things he's told you not to do. Yes but also doing what he has told you to do. First is this, get to know your master. Get to know him, get to know his character, get to see his authority in his word and get to know how trustworthy he is over and over again. Again, this is the teacher that instead of scolding his students, gets down on his knees and washes their feet. Get to know your master and you will want to obey him. You will desire this, but it's still scary. I know it's still scary. And so the next thing I would say is start obeying and watch Jesus bless it. You say, I don't know if I can live without that sin. I think my life will be miserable without that sinful thing that I've been doing. I, I can't give it up. Uh, let me just say to you, Every journey starts with going toward a, a certain direction and every journey begins with just that first step. And so if you want to get there, this, this fullness of joy in Jesus, glorifying him, enjoying him, if you want to get there, you gotta start taking first steps. And I, I don't know what that looks like in your life. It may be laying down that sin, that thing you know that you should not be doing. Lay it down and watch Jesus comfort your soul, even as you kind of say, oh, I want that back. Watch, taste and see that the Lord is good. I promise you, he is a lot better than your sin. I know from my own experience, things I didn't want to put down, but once I did, I say, wow, that was actually a ball and chain holding me back. And, and, and now taking on Jesus' yoke, the, the burden is light, and I find rest for my soul. But maybe it's, it's sharing Jesus. 
Maybe it's starting to say, okay, I'm going to start being creative. I'm going to try to figure out who it is that, that doesn't know Jesus that I can share Jesus with because that is the master's mission. The Holy Spirit has come upon me, and so I will be his witness. I will make disciples. And so, so who is it that I could make a disciple of? But what if they reject me? What if they make fun of me? What if I you know, suffer real loss here? I, I want to finish by reading this um, excerpt from uh, David Livingston. David Livingston was a missionary to Africa. Um, there he faced many trials and, and suffered greatly, quite honestly, as he sought to obey Jesus in the Great Commission. But listen to what he said. I'm just going to read this. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office that of being a missionary to Africa. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and again with a foregoing of the common conveniences, conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. I know it feels like a sacrifice to lay down your sin. I know it feels like a sacrifice to pick up your cross and follow Jesus on the master's mission. I know it feels like that, but the Bible says differently. It will not be a sacrifice, neither here from the joy, the hope, the peace you'll have, you'll experience the satisfaction you'll have now, nor for eternity. Let's pray. Father God, in our, our sinful, fallen, finite minds, it is hard to grasp a God who could be so good. We tend to think that your commands are to suppress us and to rob us of joy. And so God, would you Help us to know our master. Would you help us to know the character of the one who gives us commands? It, it's, it'd be very strange to think of uh, a God dying for us that's also trying to rob us. Just remind us of that, God. Remind us of the cross, what you paid to set us free from our sin so that we won't return to it. God, we want to obey the authority of Jesus. We want to bring you glory and we want to find our joy in you rather than in the, the trivial things of this world. But God, I, I, I know that some people in this room may, may be saying he's not my master. He's not my Lord. I haven't trusted in him. I haven't turned from my sin. And God, would you help them see this picture of yourself and of your son right now? 
that your gospel is glorious, not oppressive. That yes, you do glorify yourself through the gospel, but you do it for the good of people as well. God, anyone who doesn't know you, help them to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus today, that they may pick up life and life abundantly. And God, for those of us who have already trusted you, those of us who have already been given the master's mission, God, help us to take you seriously. Serious about your commands and and your authority, both what you've told us not to do and what you have told us to do, but also help us to take your word and your promises seriously. That it will actually be for our good to let go of our own selfish lives. God, we need your help to do these things. Uh, Jesus said the flesh is of no help at all. It is the spirit who gives life. And so we ask for life right now. New life for anyone who has not yet trusted in Jesus. And I ask for a fresh wind of life to be blown in us who have not taken your commands seriously, God. God, we thank you for not only being a God who has the right to tell us to do, but a God that we can trust in doing what you've said. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.